inside the walls of the old city of Jerusalem, facing the southern part of the wall, are a series of steps that lead up to the Temple Mount area where the Jewish temple used to sit. These steps are called the Southern Steps. Go figure. This past April, a cohort of PCC pilgrims, myself included, were standing on these Southern Steps as part of our pilgrimage to the Holy Land. As we stood on these steps, we were in a sense reenacting the final phase of the pilgrimage the Hebrews would embark on each year to worship in Jerusalem. Our spiritual exercise that afternoon was to ascend one step at a time while Gary Gadini read aloud passages from each of the 15 Psalms of Ascents. From the perspective of the casual passerby, we exhibit all of the external marks of pilgrims. We are a group of travelers. We are engaged in some type of religious ceremony. And our Western attire, along with our backpacks, signaled that we were from a distant land. As we turn to Psalm 121 in the second leg of our summer series, we are going to look at what this psalm teaches us about the internal markings of a pilgrim whose pilgrimage is on course to seek and follow God. What markings identify you as a pilgrim who is on a journey to follow Jesus? And what are the markings of character and faith that identify you as a pilgrim whose destination is not defined by the world's roadmap? This psalm identifies three marks of a pilgrim, and in our study this morning, we'll look at how we might apply these principles to our spiritual pilgrimage. To signify our pilgrimage this summer as a community, uh, I'd like us to read together the first four verses of Psalm 121. And I'd like uh, the men to read verses 1 and 2. And the woman will respond uh, with verses 2 and 4. So, Ron, thank you. Uh, and for the first, we're going to read this twice. Uh, for the first reading, I'd like you all to read it loud. I think they might say that in Italian, fortissimo. And uh, the second time around... I'd like you to read it in a hushed, softer tone. So men will begin. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. up my eyes to the mountains. The first mark of a pilgrim is an awareness of the need for help. In verse 1, at the beginning of the journey, the traveler looks to the mountains and knows that they point to his destination, Jerusalem. They give him hope. However, he knows that threats and challenges lie ahead. The paths were not paved with asphalt, but rather were strewn with boulders. They required ascending from the desert valley floor to the highlands where Jerusalem is located. Lurking in the mountains were wild animals and packs of thieves 
who eagerly awaited the annual arrival of the resource-laden pilgrims. They were easy prey for both wild beasts and bandits. To all of this, add in the prospect of a pilgrim losing his GPS signal and getting lost in the mountains, leading to abandonment and loneliness. The mountains presented a formidable foe full of hardships, physical challenges, and psychological wear and tear. So at the very outset of the pilgrimage, aware of the dangers ahead, the pilgrim in verse 1 cries out, Help! Help! This is the first mark of a pilgrim, becoming aware that he needs help. Without awareness for the need for help, the pilgrim becomes a tourist, a traveler who is on a sightseeing trip, not a pilgrim who is on a pilgrimage. Where do you need help today? Are you able to cry out as a pilgrim, I need help? As you survey the landscape of your journey forward, what lurks ahead for you? Is a path strewn with anxiety, relationship issues, guilt, health challenges, parenting issues, depression, economic uncertainty, or even an unhealthy sense of overconfidence in your own abilities? I invite you to take your message notes and to take a moment and reflect and write down your response in your message notes that says, I need help in. This is between you and God. I'm not going to trick you and ask you to turn to your neighbor and share what you just wrote down. But take a moment and reflect as a pilgrim. God, I need your help in. Don't squander these next weeks during our pilgrimage in the Psalms of Ascents. Don't just sightsee through these Psalms. The second mark of a pilgrim is acknowledging God as a source of help. The psalmist affirms that he needs help, but he has to select the source of his help. Where will his help come from? Should he run to the myriad of shrines of false deities that were scattered in the hills? Shrines that offered cheap and quick elixirs to every danger on the pathway? Should he make a negotiated settlement with the thieves who wanted to plunder the offerings he is bringing for the festival worship? Or should he just turn back home and pass on this year's festival? There were festivals in Jerusalem every year. Perhaps he would be in a healthier state of mind next year to pursue a journey. In verse 2, the psalmist declares, My help comes from the Lord. When you stop and look at the journey that lies ahead of you, and you look at your fill-in-the-blank response to, I need help in, where do you turn for help? Where do you seek help when you assess the challenges at home, the stress of a career, the strain of a difficult relationship, grim economic prospects, or an unwelcome medical prognosis? Where do you truly turn and seek help? The psalmist chooses to affirm that his help comes from the Lord because he is the maker 
and creator of heaven and earth. Heaven always precedes earth in God's creation story. Earth is a sequel to heaven. Heaven is the original. As beautiful as earth is with its amazing nature, restorative relationships, and inspiring arts, it is not heaven. The pain and suffering we witness and experience when our feet slip on this earth give evidence of this. A movie sequel is never as good as the original. With one exception. We took our three grandchildren to see Finding Dory this last week. And it is just as creative and just as cool as the original Finding Nemo. So that's the one exception. But we are in reverse. We think on earth we are living and experiencing the original of God's creation. When we reach our pilgrimage destination of heaven, we'll realize how lacking the sequel of earth has been in comparison to the original creation of heaven. Country music vocalist and sometimes theologian Carrie Underwood, in her song Temporary Home, sings a ballad of three pilgrims who each exhibit this second mark, which is that God is the source of their hope, and their home on earth is a temporary pour-over experience. The first stanza is about a six-year-old boy who was shuttled across the country from one foster home to the next, but he holds fast to this refrain. This is my temporary home. It's not where I belong. Windows and rooms that I'm passing through, this is just a stop on the way to where I'm going. I'm not afraid because I know this is my temporary home. In the next stanza, a young mother with a baby girl, no home, no job, no way out whispers at night to her baby girl the same refrain. This is our temporary home. It's not where we belong. Windows and doors that we're passing through. This is just a stop on the way to where we're going. I'm not afraid because I know this is our temporary home. And lastly, an elderly man on a hospital bed in a room filled with people he loves. And he whispers, don't cry for me. I'll see you all someday. He looks up and says, I can see God's face. This is my temporary home. It's not where I belong. Windows and rooms that I'm passing through. This is just a stop on the way to where I'm going. I'm not afraid because I know this was my temporary home. As you reflect on these lyrics, what feelings does this evoke in you in terms of our perspective of our temporary and our eternal home? You can just uh, vocalize those now. Relief. Relief. Peace. Excitement. Excitement. Thank you. Hope. This leads into the third mark of a pilgrim who is on a pilgrimage to seek after God. 
He possesses an eternal perspective of God's providence. Five times the psalmist states that the Lord will watch over us. He is our guardian. This speaks to the providence of God, his guidance and care for us. The image here is that God is standing guard, eyes open, neither slumbering nor sleeping. He won't let our foot slip. He will keep us from all harm and evil. After an initial reading of the psalm, we feel upbeat, positive, like we can conquer any challenge laid before us. God is watching over us. We won't stumble or have to face harm along our path. But at some point, our foot does slip, and harm, in fact, comes our way. It's like the first eight minutes of the nine-minute log flume splash mountain ride at Disneyland. For the first eight minutes of the ride, you experience a peaceful float trip serenaded by happy tunes. So happy you break into a cold sweat and you have the fear that you're back in. It's a small world and you're stuck there and you'll never get out. (laughs) The ride is serene and tranquil. There is no harm on the horizon. But just around the last river bend, the sound of a thunderous waterfall is a warning call and you immediately experience the reality of why the ride has splash in its name. As you plunge ten stories down into the briar patch pool, Seeming tranquility yields to the reality of the splash experience. In a similar fashion, the initial assurances of Psalm 121 soon yield to questions that pop up when our life plunges ten stories into our own briar patch pool. Our feet do stumble. We are not immune to harm or evil. And at times our right hand is not always in the shade, as promised in verse 5. As Francis Schaeffer wrote in his book on Christian living, how then shall we live? In the midst of calamity, how shall we live a life of faith in God, the maker and creator of heaven and earth? Let's consider the Apostle Paul's pilgrimage experiences and how he modeled this third mark of a pilgrim. As a child growing up in Tarsus, a city located in what is now the region of Turkey, he was known on the playground by his birth name, Saul. His parents were devout Jews, and during his childhood, they embarked as a family on many pilgrimage experiences and travels to Jerusalem. Saul grew up reciting 121, and the conviction that God constantly watched over him was lodged in his memory, much like you and I have many songs and rhymes that we can recall from our childhood. This truth would have become even more vibrant and real after his conversion experience and his commitment to follow Jesus. Now push the 4X fast-forward button on the DVR to the latter stages of Paul's life. He's now in his 50s, and he's giving a brief synopsis of his life in his second letter to the church in Corinth. I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Ten times I had to ride in It's a Small World continuously. (laughs) I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, 
in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Writing while imprisoned in jail in the dark and quiet recesses of the night, Paul reflects on Psalm 121 that he recited so frequently as a child. With a psalm in mind and recalling the calamities of his life, how did he process these inevitable questions? God, were you sleeping? God, how come you allowed my foot to stumble through all of these hardships? I can tell you the date and the location when I read this psalm 24 years ago and said to myself, these words are untrue. These assurances and promises ring so hollow. Perhaps you've been in the same spot. Perhaps the hardships of life have at times left you wondering if God was busy tending to more important matters when a crisis came calling. Maybe he forgot to show up to work that day. Or maybe when your foot has stumbled, you've been left with a feeling that God is punishing you or that you have slightly fallen out of his grace. This psalm has now become one of my go-to passages, a refuge when my soul is troubled. These eight verses have expanded my trust of God as one who watches over me forevermore. And for me, the forevermore carries no expiration date. I have lived with a psalm for three decades, sifting my life experiences through the promises stated in these eight verses. A pastry chef will often sift flour in order to make the flour lighter. This allows the flour to mix more easily with other ingredients when making cake batter or forming dough. Sifting is a rigorous process. When our foot stumbles and a harm comes our way, it feels like we are being sifted vigorously. How then shall we live when going through the sifting stages of life? I can attest that the sifting of God results in a robust and flavor-filled walk with the Lord, much like a Susie Cakes cupcake. Paul's response to his sifting experience is a template for us in modeling this third mark of a pilgrim. Paul's conviction was that he was on a pilgrimage that overshadowed anything that earth could throw in his path. This perspective allowed him to state in the midst of hardships, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He proclaimed to the church in Philippi, our citizenship is in heaven. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Eugene Peterson offers these insightful words. The promise of Psalm 121 and both Hebrews and Christians have always read it this way, is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will ever have evil power over us. That is, we'll be able to separate us from God's purposes in our life. I grew up along Windensea Beach in La Jolla in Southern California. Each night I would drift asleep to the sound of the pounding surf coming through the open bedroom windows. 
I spent a lot of time at the beach, probably too much time. Body surfing, boogie boarding, and at times just exploring the shoreline and tidal pools. It's amazing what the ocean coughs up on the beach. On rare occasions, the ocean tide would deposit a glass fishing float on the beach. These are floats that fishermen would use to keep their nets uh, stable and afloat in the ocean floor. Originally developed by Norwegian fishermen in the 19th century, their use was expanded by the Japanese in the early 20th century across their vast fishing uh, span in the Pacific Ocean. The Japanese would repurpose glass from colorful old sake bottles to create these glass floats. These floats could spend years, decades, bobbing atop the ocean amidst squalls, tempest, and the most violent of storms that the sea could offer. But amidst the rigorous conditions of the sea, the floats would never sink because the ocean's water could never penetrate the outer surface of the glass and get inside. The float was impervious to anything that the sea could mount against it. At the point in life when we take a step of faith and entrust our life to Jesus, he repurposes us. We are rebirthed. And like the outer surface of the glass float, he encircles us and protects us. He watches over us. All of the evil and trouble in the world cannot harm us unless it gets within us. None of the things that happen to you, none of the troubles you encounter, have any power to penetrate your repurposed life, to get between you and God, to dilute his grace in you, or to divert his will from you. Alan, I want to give you this glass for you to keep as a memory that God watches over you. As we continue our pilgrimage this summer in the Psalms of Ascents, I urge you not to travel as a sightseer, but rather take on the marks of a pilgrim along the journey. Cry out to God for help along the way. Acknowledge God as your source of help and face the difficulties of life with an eternal perspective of God's providence. Those southern steps that sit just outside the walls of Jerusalem and lead up to the temple were purposefully constructed with varying depth for the treads and varying height for the risers. This varied offset of the steps ensured that the pilgrim at the end of his journey would approach the temple in a slow and staggered pace and reflect on God as his guardian and keeper, the one who watches over him. In closing, I would like for us to read aloud together verses 7 and 8. And as you read, I invite you to imagine ascending a flight of staggered steps that lead up to a holy and sacred place. Reflect as you read and meditate on the Holy One who watches over you forevermore. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore.
listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church Podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.